0: here from the geology podcast network have you ever stared out your window and wondered what interesting secrets lay just beneath the soil don't let the kentucky bluegrass and your mother's geraniums fool you there is exciting geology even in your backyard in this podcast we explore the amazing discoveries and geologic events that happen right in someone's backyard I'm sure we've all heard of the Gold Rush television shows. From miners in Alaska, Australia, Peru, and Ghana, to gold divers in the Bering Sea, gold mining TV has swept the world. I was amazed to see that the Gold Rush TV series has been going on for 11 seasons. That's right, 11 years of Gold Rush TV. If you've not heard of this, basically, it is a reality TV crew that follows around various mining camps throughout their exploits, adventures, and drama. Of course, lots and lots of drama. Finding gold isn't going to come easy. I have no plan B. We've gambled a lot. It better be there. I can't spend another year of my life working for him. He steals Todd Hoffman's secret weapon, and his crew has abandoned him for their old jobs. I'm out, Todd. Dude, I'm out. dream's over. Reality TV has never been my cuppa, but I can't deny the intrigue of these intrepid miners working their guts out for the 79th element on the periodic table. Gold has been an important commodity for millennia. The earliest evidence of human collecting gold dates all the way back to 40,000 years ago. But as far as I can tell, it seems to be an isolated occurrence and that they were simply collecting it as trinkets. But the oldest pieces of gold jewelry, where people have actually taken the gold and then fashioned it into jewelry, are from the 3rd century BCE in Egypt, and it was even first used as money as long ago as 700 BCE in Turkey. So the appeal of gold throughout the ages relies on its scarcity, its luster and its malleability. Now, the big question is how does gold form? Well, okay, let's back up. I guess this is a loaded question because what I meant to say is how does gold as an element, the element AU form. So to address this, we need to step outside of the backyard. Actually, More appropriately, we need to step outside the planet and even the solar system. So where does gold form in the galaxy? (music) Stellar fusion provides an explanation for the formation of many elements heavier than hydrogen. Within a star's core, pressure is so intense that two hydrogens combine to make a helium. Two heliums combine to make beryllium. Helium plus beryllium make carbon. Helium plus carbon make oxygen, etc. All the way up to iron and nickel. This helium addition is called the R process. But the R process only gets us up to a mass number of 28, or nickel. So how do we go from 28 at nickel all the way up to 79 and beyond? To get there, we need more energy. Supernovae are one place where there's a lot more energy. But even within a supernova, there is not enough energy to get us all the way up to gold. For this, we need the collision of two neutron stars. Merging neutron stars generate so much energy that it creates not only gold, but the heaviest naturally occurring elements in the universe. The heaviest one being plutonium, if you were wondering. So two neutron stars collide, explode, create gold, then what? Then those heavy elements are concentrated around newly forming stellar nebula. Most of that gold, along with those other heavy elements, are concentrated in the cores of newly forming planets. I remember reading a paper many years ago that argued all of the elements heavier than iron sunk to the core of the Earth during the very early stages of planet formation, when the Earth was still completely molten, and those heavy elements have been stuck there ever since. These authors then postulated that all of the heavy elements that we have in the crust and the mantle today were delivered to Earth by asteroids as a late veneer after the core had formed. So the heavy elements, including all the gold, were subsequently moved around and concentrated by geologic processes until we could extract them for our trinkets. It's pretty incredible to think of this immense stellar galactic process just so that our significant others can have a bit of gold around their finger well now my wife's ring is actually palladium but similar story with palladium so with that amazing tangent let's get back into the backyard after neutron stars collide and meteorites deliver gold to the earth after core formation some of that gold may live in your backyard Gold is concentrated in the crust through a number of high-temperature processes. These either include high-grade concentrations in thin veins associated with hot fluids along fault zones, or more disseminated in igneous porphyries that are often associated with copper and silver. However, the type of gold you will likely find in your backyard is placer gold. This is gold that has been eroded from its original host and concentrated by sedimentary processes. Because gold is significantly heavier than most other minerals, it takes more energy to push it along a riverbed. This naturally concentrates heavy minerals into what are called placer deposits. Although I have never prospected for gold, I have an embarrassing amount of experience working with a gold pan but not looking for gold. Instead, my gold panning was searching for zircon. Zircon is a heavy mineral that is a very useful geochronometer, which we use to figure out how old rocks are. When rivers erode and concentrate zircon, the distribution of ages can teach us something about where the sediments came from and the ages of the rocks from which the sediments were derived. When I am looking out for detrital zircon in modern sediments, instead of collecting huge bags of sand, I use a gold pan to concentrate the heavy minerals, including zircon, to take back to the lab. So, effectively, you use flowing water and the grooves in the gold pan to agitate and remove the lighter minerals, leaving behind the heavy minerals. The process for gold prospecting, also known as fossicking, is the same. During some time that I spent in New Zealand, I came across a number of people who were out gold fossicking. They would walk up and down rivers that cut across granite porphyries with small amounts of gold. And when I say small amounts of gold in these granites, I mean really, really small amounts of gold, like a few parts per billion. So if you wanted a gram of gold, you'd need to crush and process a few tons of rock. For one part per million is equivalent to one gram per ton for a gold deposit to be financially viable it needs to have around one gram per ton but there are some large underground mines that can have gold grades as high as 10 grams per ton so These New Zealand granites really aren't chucky jam full of gold, but there's enough in there if you let the rivers do the hard work of concentrating all those heavy minerals. As a river carries sediments from the mountains, it will naturally concentrate the heavier minerals with larger pebbles of lighter minerals. So these kiwi fossickers would look out for natural potholes in the riverbed that are filled with gravel they would shovel out these potholes and sieve the gravel from the finer sands. Mind you, these sands are entirely made of heavier than average minerals, which is why they're hanging out with the gravels. So once sieved, they would put that finer-grained, heavy mineral stuff in their gold pans and swish it around to wash away the lighter minerals, leaving behind a pure black sand. This black sand, is a combination of a lot of different heavy minerals like rutile, titanite, magnetite. And this is also what Kiwi fossickers call sweet as pay dirt." So with a bit of finesse, they are able to separate the black sand from the gold. And talented fossickers can bring in as much as $100 a day, which is only about two grams of gold. <laughs> One of my favorite gold in your backyard stories is about a man from Ottawa, Ontario, who was sitting on his porch when a neighbor's dog dropped by for a visit. While he thought the dog was just going to do her business on his front lawn and then walk away, instead the dog just dug up a little hole and then walked off. And he went over there to fill in the hole and he noticed a little lump that the, the dog had dug up. And as he bent down to pick it up, he realized it was a flipping gold nugget. This 12 carat nugget had just been sitting in his front yard his entire life so although that story is really interesting no story about finding gold nuggets would be complete without telling the story of the welcome nugget in 1858 a group of Cornish gold miners were the first miners to introduce steam-driven machinery into a region around the city of Ballarat, which is just right outside Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. Their first spot came up totally dry, so the men moved their equipment to a new spot called Bakery Hill, and when they employed this machinery they found a number of small nuggets, which was quite exciting. Then one day, When the proprietors were returning from their lunch break, they found the man they left behind to continue working was laying face down in the bottom of the hole on a mound of dirt. Thinking that he had died of exhaustion, one of the men jumped in to turn him over and noticed that the prostrate man was laying on top of a massive gold nugget. In fact, the man wasn't dead, but he had fainted when he uncovered the nearly 70 kilogram gold nugget. When his friend rolled the fainted man over and saw the gold nugget for himself, he also fainted. (laughs) So once the fainting prone miners had come to their senses, they extracted what at the time was the largest gold nugget that had ever been found, known today as the welcome nugget. During my undergrad, a few of my mates had serious gold fever and they went up a local canyon with gold pans in hand and they dug up a bunch of sediment, they panned their hearts out, and even found a few flecks of gold on their first try. Now, even though there was no granite in the actual canyon, there was granite in the mountains that was up above in the headwaters of this river. And so the granite had the gold, the gold washed down the river into the canyon, where then my buddies were able to find a few little flakes. So, do you think there's gold in your backyard? Well, if there's some granite nearby, there may just be a few flakes of gold in your backyard. For a few bucks, you can get a gold pan and a sieve. You can steal your pappy's shovel and dig a hole in the backyard. Give it a try. Who knows? You may find a few flakes in your backyard. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends, students, and professors. Backyard Geology is a part of the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Traveling Geologist.